the latest Fifth Step podcast. Today I'll be talking to Darren Ray, CEO of Fifth Step, about the innovative CIO. Now, creativity and innovation has always been part of the, CIO, of the CIO's role, uh, but it's generally been focused on you know, the IT department and within the IT department. The changes are taking place now, and the business is very much getting involved, um, the CEO and vice, vice versa, vice versa. So I want to ask Darren, I mean, is it, how, how is it possible for the CIO to develop uh, a flair for innovation with the company that helps to drive the business forward? Well, some of the CIOs obviously have the, the, the natural ability, and you, you know, you've very well described there, Chris, how CIOs have always been involved in innovation, but it's been more technical innovation and making the, improving the organisation with te- technical or, or IT-orientated innovation. Increasingly, though, CIOs need to be working with their business peers to create different kinds of innovation, innovation that that really gets to the heart of what the business is, potentially changing some of the business models, but using their knowledge and capabilities from IT innovation and spreading those a little bit more broadly or spreading their wings a little bit more broadly to actually help the, the, the business in a more um, uh, holistic way. So would you, would you argue that maybe in the past uh, some CIOs have been guilty of being, of being maybe a bit inward-focused and not really sort of focus enough on the external externalities, I guess, or the customer, really. The, you know, is, that, is that something that they, they are doing increasingly? I think some CIOs could definitely be uh, have been accused of that in the past, but that was the nature of the role far more in the past. You know, we've spoken a lot, Chris, on this podcast and, uh, you know, in blogs and things like that about how the role of the CIO is, is changing and has changed. And one of those changes is that the CIO must get closer to... Know, to the business and understand the business and be less centred on IT, more understanding of how IT actually serves the business. And the best DIOs, I, I would argue, have always done that. Um, but now it's, um, you know, it's critical that CIOs do it. You can't really be one of these behind-the-scenes CIOs um, so much these days. So, you know, um, are, you, are you saying that the CIO then can help to create a, a, a kind of innovation capability? Is that, is that the sort of thing? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, certainly, organisations need um, some kind of um, uh, certain degrees of innovation capability. Organisations have to reinvent themselves and have to keep pace with what the market is looking for. And what better to do that than to actually innovate and be innovative, rather than you know playing follow my leader with um, with others within the industry. So. Part and parcel of doing that is identifying people who are good innovators, people who can work within uh, your innovation team, and making sure that you're being inclusive. Um, You know, there's lots and lots of people will have good ideas, but they may not be the the people that you'd regularly um, think about. Um, You know, when I've run innovation sessions, in fact, one innovation session I remember running uh, many years ago, probably about 10 or 15 years ago now, um, ran an innovation session, and one of the f- most fantastic people that we um, that we had there, completely unexpectedly, um, because she'd shown, shown no particular aptitude in this area previously, perhaps because she hadn't been given the the opportunity, but was um, the receptionist for the uh, for this organisation. Right. So, um, and the reason that she was so good was because she would put ideas out. Not knowing whether they were good or bad, but she was, um, you know, the environment we created was very much around, you know, there's no such thing as a bad idea. And she would put the idea, 
put the idea out. Whilst the idea itself may not have been fully formed or implementable in that form, it created enough of a different idea for others to springboard off of and say, we couldn't quite do that, but what about if we did this? We could do that, we could do this. And there was more than one occasion in, in, in many meetings, um, you know, many of the innovation meetings over you know, probably um, 18 months um, where uh, she was participating in that way. And uh, that became the role that she would um, that she took upon herself, but also yeah. played within that innovation session. Isn't it uh, interesting? Obviously, some some of myself I'm involved in marketing. I mean, I'm often involved with sort of creative brainstorming sessions. I often find um, you'd be surprised that you know, um, you know the problem is you have to foster the culture that accepts and is tolerant. I think of new of new ideas, and sometimes that's you know if you come up with a slightly off the wall idea. You might, you know, some people might be afraid of being laughed at. Now that's something that I've never, I've never particularly feared, as you, as you, you probably, probably gathered. Well, but you know, just people laughing at all sorts of reasons. Your ideas, <laughs> the least of them. But you know, you just have to you know, not worry about your ideas being shot down. I mean, you know, better to have you know five stupid ideas and one good one than none. You know, that that's. Um, the key aspect there, Chris, that you talk about is creating that safe environment where people feel that you know there's no such thing as a bad idea. This is an idea that is is outside of its you know its current time or its current usability. And sometimes it's because that time has passed, and sometimes it's because that time is in the future. And the the most um, inclusive um, way of doing that, um, or the most inclusive people can actually. Um, bring that team together and actually help them understand that you know. Okay, so you know Bob said said that we ought to go back to using you know quill pens. Okay, well that's not going to be something that we're looking at at the moment. But we've got it on there as you know we perhaps need another way of you know documenting this. Um, I suppose you need you know ideally you need a mix of people, don't you? You need the person who's coming up with the, the idea, someone which is silly, and you need probably the skeptic who's who's there, or, or even the cynic, you know, who's there. Yeah. That's all part of the diversity that you need, Chris. You're right. You need people from all, um, you know, good covering within your organisation is ideal. Um, you know, uh, obviously you can't be dragging everyone away from their business, uh, their business functions to, to um, you know, participate in innovation sessions. But doing that can really, uh, you know, really be um, well, useful. Well, it's something that obviously you, you get involved with. So, I mean, you, you've got um, a lot of knowledge in this area. So, what if, you know, if you've got any tips and techniques about what, know what people could do to foster this kind of culture yeah I mean yeah okay so uh, an interesting one to start from is um, the four patterns around inventing your own competition so you know at the moment with a lot of the clients that we're working with particularly in financial services they're talking about fintech they're thinking about fintech they're trying to think about innovative ways or different ways of doing things now the great aspect of this is that the knowledge within your organisation about how things are done and um, how you know, markets work or how your sector works at the moment is very much part parcel of what your organisation does. So looking at ways, new ways, that you can invent your, your competition. Now the challenge there for organisations and for people participating from that perspective is take away the baggage. You know, You've got to not be saying, oh, we can't do that because of this, because your competition may not be thinking that this exists as a barrier. And they may be just looking to overcome that barrier by ploughing through it. And sometimes organisations, when they are innovating and trying to invent their own competition, will think more about the barriers and the reasons why they have to carry on doing things the way they're doing them than 
um, than looking for alternatives. Yeah, yeah. Um, the second way is to look at um, different ways of looking at things differently. Now, one of the ways that um, that I've uh, one of the things I've done in the past is using um, they're like uh, decks of cards, or there's an app as well um, these days, but. Um, something called uh, Creative Whack Pack. Okay. okay. Now, <laughs> steady, Chris. Uh, <laughs> um, now, what these uh, do is they've got cards with um, you know standard lines on uh, that make you think differently about uh, the product that you're creating or the product that you're um, that's already in existence. And by looking at it from uh, different angles and different eyes, you can sometimes. Um, come up with a, an alternative uh, product or uh, an aspect to a product that you wouldn't have thought of uh, naturally. So it's a way of getting people together and um, looking at problems in a slightly different way. Um, now obviously we'd say you know, work with Fifth Step and we'll help take you through that and coordinate and facilitate those kind of things. So how do they work then, these whack back cards? What's the... It's a deck of cards, okay, and on each of the cards will be at least one uh, one question or aspect, okay, um, for you to think about um, the the problem. So it may be a question, you know, um, uh, what um, you know, what would happen if you use the product backwards? Okay, yeah. so you know, um, does that work? Is that appropriate? Is it even relevant to the the, the product you're proposing? But um, in thinking about the problem backwards or the use of the product backwards, does that change your mindset? Is there something that you can do there? Does it bring up new ideas? Mm-hmm. So using some of those, using you know, several of those, um, can sometimes help teams that are very set in their ways or believe that something can only be done one way. It can sometimes free them up to think of things in a different way. It's a very uh, useful and powerful tool. So with this sort of thing, would it fall under the area of, you know, the... Uh, to change management, project management, um, is that sort of the, the, those are, the, it would be the uh, PMO team that maybe all one person would be leading this and sort of, you know, running a, you know, something like a, an innovation workshop as part of a project management. Yeah, not necessarily um, a PMO, but yes, it, um, um, yeah, typically it'll be part of a, um, you know, a change function, certainly within Fifth Step we run it as part of the, the you know, combination of the executive as a service and the CIO as a service piece and... Uh, and the and IT team. leadership. And, uh, well, exactly uh, right, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, to help, you know, creating a culture of innovation... Um, Sounds sounds quite complicated to me. Yeah, well, it is. It, it is, Chris, and it is about some of those um, topics that we've already spoken about. You know, creating that safe area where people feel that they can actually come out with the silly ideas. Um, you know, the ideas that seem crazy when you're an organisation that's always you know um, done things in a certain fashion. Um, you know, it seems crazy to then um, try and innovate. You know. Um, you imagine someone at Ford in the you know the uh, the early days of Ford when the only uh, colour of car they made was black, um, you know, suggesting that actually it might be time now to make white cars or blue cars or something like that. Yeah. Now that's only a small change, but it's still a change in the way the organisation thinks and, and looks at itself. So there's lots of things that that, that you can do, but posing simple questions, you know, um, why do we do things uh, a particular way? Um, you know that starts to open up the challenge to um, improvement and uh, thoughts around improvement, and not just being accepting of doing things the way that we've always done them. Um, you know, thinking it's the best way to do uh, to do it. You know, likewise, the the flip side of that coin is we're a better way. 
Yeah, yeah so yeah. capturing those better ways, discussing better ways, thinking about it in a different, um, a different way. Um, considering whether that task even needs to be done at all anymore. You know, are you actually doing something um, by rote just because it's always been done and actually people have given up questioning why it needs to be done because it just needs to be done. Or I suppose, you know, what are the consequences of not doing it? Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. If there's, um, if the, um, if the consequences of not doing it are are relatively minimal or easily mitigated by, from a different route, then perhaps you take um, perhaps you take that view now. Um, so it's really about um, um, creating the freedom to think about things differently and to be able to question why things are being done the way they are. So that starts to create the culture. I suppose in some ways, some people might see this as being relatively abstract, and we're talking about being creative. But is it? And it's a bit, what, what I what I wonder is, are innovation labs not being undertaken or because it's, they're difficult to measure the results? I mean, how do you how do you measure the success of a, something like a creative or brainstorming session? I mean, uh, th- that's true. Okay, so one one off um, uh, innovation workshops are difficult to um, to measure, and I don't have the stats immediately to hand. Okay, but. Organisations that run innovation, have an innovation pipeline, are more successful uh, as organisations. I really ought to have those statistics in front of me, but they're more um, they're more respected in the in uh, in their respective marketplaces, and uh, and very often more respected in the world. I mean, if you look at some of the organisations that have been some of the greatest innovators over the over the past few years, you know, you think about organisations like Google like Apple, like yeah. Hewlett-Packard Hewlett before them, uh, 3M before them. Uh, you know, those kind of organisations are known for uh, being innovative. Well, that doesn't happen by accident. It's not just because... It's part of the brand, isn't it, really? Well, it is I mean, part of the brand, and it's, uh, it's because they've invested the time, the effort, and the money, and they've created a culture of innovation and, an, uh, and given their people the time and the space to actually think about things and to think about them differently, and the freedom to ask... Why? Why do we do it this way? Is there a better way of doing it? Mm. Uh, in terms of, um, I suppose the obvious question is, a lot of people are going to ask, you know, what's in it for me to be involved in mm. these uh, these uh, creative sessions? I mean, uh, I'm going to give this idea across, and am I just going to get rewarded with a, you know, a bottle of wine, or is, it, is, mm-hmm. is that is that how it works, or is, it, is, it, is, there, a lot, is there a lot more to it than that? Well, so, okay, so. Um, rewarding innovation is is one of those things, um, and the more diverse the the group of people, so the more you're asking them to you know go above and beyond their normal roles, um, the 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 more potential there is for them to be asking for you know uh, rewards aside from just being you know just the involvement. So um, you have to look at that. Um, many organisations will have a look look at that in the in the scope and scale of their HR uh, or. Um, the, the HR within their organisation. Some organisations may already have um, the ability to reward staff for you know suggestions made or, or whatever, and that may be that may still be appropriate. Um, one thing I would um, suggest though is you know you want uh, the 
energy and the ambition and the drive within the people within your innovation team uh, to actually be there for the sake of innovation as much as for the, re uh, the reward. But, you know, not ignoring the fact that people have to be, um, you know, uh, paid for their, their job and potentially if it's something, you know, big or something that really is going to change the, change the way the company works and really drive it forward, um, yeah, potentially they need to be paid for their innovations as well. But there's lots of ways that, can be, that that can be done and that can be done in, you know, um, you know, if uh, innovation saves money, um, then you know perhaps a percentage of those savings go to um, you know go to the employee if it's uh, one person or the team of people that came up with the uh, the idea, or if it's an entire innovation team that are um, responsible for that, then perhaps it goes into a bonus pool for the innovation team. You know, something along those lines. Um, I mean, can companies well. like Google or Facebook, aren't they? For, was it, they have to spend twenty. Was it twenty percent of their time for certain people devoted to projects outside of their core core confidence? Which I find is interesting because actually, a couple of week, uh, well, a couple of days ago, um, I was talking to a risk manager who went went into to Google to the Google's offices in the UK, and she was struck by how, uh, for all the innovation and the, 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 the great work that was being done there, that she she saw the Google model as being as very much a command and control. Uh, yep. model, uh, which she thought was slightly counterintuitive because she thought it wouldn't be anything like that. Yeah, well I think there's, uh, you know, as organisations grow and they mature and they get bigger um, then, you know, structures that worked very well for them as um, start-up organisations um, you know, perhaps don't work so well for them um, when they get larger and the, you know, to my mind uh, an agile management um, structure is far uh, is far better, and that's perhaps a topic that we'll talk more about at some point in the future, Chris. But certainly, um, Google was famous for having twenty percent time, um, and you know there are other organisations who have done this as well. Um, but it was never imposed upon people, and some people said that it never actually truly existed. In as much as you know, you could take Friday, for example, and work on um, you know a pet project. Actually, what it became was 120% yeah. time. So the 20% was actually time that you would build in and um, you know, do above and beyond. Um, so you're going above and beyond the, the call of duty. Okay. So um, are there any downsides to, you know, um, challenges to, to fostering a, a culture of innovation that you've come across? Well, what are the main challenges? Well, I think there are some challenges, Chris. Um, the... Um, the challenges are that an innovation team can only be so um, so big. Um, so, you know, one of the challenges may be actually um, limiting uh, the size of the innovation team whilst maintaining um, morale, um, you know, within the rest of the organisation. To some degree, that's actually a good, you know, a good problem to have. If everyone is really interested in changing the organisation, you know, perhaps you don't want to limit the size of the team as, as much and perhaps, you know, uh, create a more, ad, uh, a more agile or a more virtual um, uh, innovate, innovation team where people can actually collaborate and provide input um, you know, without being a formal member of the team or, or without... I suppose being commu communication has got to play, play with your communications department or internal communications department. Yeah, communication, um, Chris, as you know, a key part of FISTEP's communication uh, team, uh, you know, you'll, um, you, you'll appreciate that the uh, you know, communication is always key. Um, getting the right messages across, making sure that, um, you're, that you're building excitement around um, innovation... Um, can be challenging, okay, but it's very rewarding when you actually start to see that paying off. But in terms of the actual um, challenges themselves, 
the biggest challenges tend to be um, fighting off um, what um, uh, what Phil McKinney, who's a, a, a big innovator from um, from HP um, uh, and, and many other organisations, uh, but what he regularly calls the uh, corporate antibodies. Now, the corporate antibodies are the parts of the business that are going to say, that's not the way we do it, we've always done it this way. And they can't necessarily defend or um, you know, define a reason for why it's always been done that way, but that is the way it's always been done, and therefore they don't want to do it in a different way. So some of the biggest challenges actually come in overcoming the corporate antibodies, and the second aspect is um, that creating that safe space where people are, actually can be free to come out with good ideas and don't feel that they're being watched or judged by their peers. Okay. Well, uh, okay. I, mean, I was going to get into the subject of uh, how you develop uh, an innovation pipeline, but I think you know, you, you literally, I think you've got a meeting to go to soon. So I, I think that may, I think that may be that may be type, a subject for another podcast. I think. Uh, uh, but if anyone is interested in learning more about the uh, the, the topic we've, we've discussed today, or indeed finding out about how you go about developing an innovation pipeline, Darren's um, written all this down in his uh, new book um, called The CIO Navigator, um, which can be purchased um, on Amazon, I believe. Yeah, search for the CIO Navigator on Amazon, and um, and and you'll find uh, you'll find it there. Um, and it's available in paperback and in ebook format. Um, but it covers not only innovation, but it covers the whole life cycle of, uh, of the requirements of a modern CIO and the challenges that modern CIOs have. And my belief is that it's no longer enough to be a CIO, that actually the CIO of the future is a CIO navigator. Brilliant. Great stuff. Well, thanks, Darren. Uh, as, as usual, I mean, you could follow all sorts of updates from Fifth Step on the, on the Twitter feed or on LinkedIn, the LinkedIn company page. Or if you go to www.fifthstep.com, um, there's a special blog section there, which we've called uh, Obscurity Fifth Sense. Cent, <laughs> but you can find out all sorts of useful information covering a range of topics uh, dedicated to CIO. So thank you for your time again, Darren. Thanks, Chris.